Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And today's guest is Dayton Hartman. Dayton, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's great to have you. Hey, guys, today's episode is brought to you by Lexum Press. Visit the Lexum Press blog at blog.lexumpress.com and receive two free ebooks for subscribing to their updates. One of these is the Ephesians Commentary in the EEC series, which D.A. Carson calls unquestionably the best technical commentary on Ephesians. Well, Dayton, I do want to welcome you again to the show. It's great to have you back. Uh, I think this is the third time I've had you on now. So um, can you catch us up a little bit on what's going on in your life, marriage, ministry, and what what writing projects are you working on? Yeah, man, it's, just, uh, it's good to be back. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're old buddies at this point, aren't we? Um, a lot's been happening. Uh, in terms of my family, we just welcomed our, our fourth child. We had four straight boys. Uh, so there's a lot happening in the Hartman house right now. Our church is about to uh, launch in a brand new facility and man that's uh, that's been a marathon and I'm excited to take off the general contractor hat and just stay uh, stay in the pastorate um, and, and in terms of, of writing uh, man the Lord's provided a really good opportunity uh, my, my good buddy uh, Walter Strickland and I uh, here at Southeastern uh, we're editing uh, together a, a book for B&H Academic uh, that we really hope will, will bless and encourage the church and that's coming out uh, sometime early next year and so so we're trying to get that project wrapped up, and uh, that's that's what I have on the docket right now, man. So that's that's a snapshot into my world. Excellent. Well, congratulations on on your new baby. Uh, that's very exciting for you and your wife. So congratulations. Thanks, man. And look forward to your next book, of course. Uh, well, can hey, you- man, I'll make sure you get a copy. That would that would be fantastic. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that. Awesome. Let me know. Uh, let me know how I can help promote that too, for sure. Will do. Well, can you uh, please tell us about your book, Jesus Wins: The Good News of the End Times, why you wrote it, and how it's being received? Yeah. So I actually really started writing this for our church. So so and it just kind of turned into more of of a, a, a book for a broader audience. Um, so our church is very creedal, uh, meaning that we we really rally around uh, nine core beliefs, and they're they're largely grounded in. Uh, uh, the early creeds, and, and so one of the things that we as a church do is we say that um, what we believe about the consummation, the, the the end of days, is that Jesus comes back and Jesus wins. And so I really wrote this largely for our church to explain, you know, how we should think about these things in light of uh, the unity Christians have, even even though we have a wide spectrum of views in the end of days. And, uh, and, and in the process of outlining it, I mean, this might actually be helpful for for a, a broader audience. And uh, man, I've been encouraged by how it's been received. Um, anytime Tim Chalice is going to get a copy of your book, kind of like take a deep breath and like, man, I hope Tim likes it. And uh, Tim read it and said some really encouraging things about it. And, and a number of, of bloggers have have uh, written reviews, and, and it's been you know largely encouraging. I've been I've been shocked by um, how quickly 
it's it moved along and, and people are reading it and responding and uh, encouraging other people to, to read it. So I'm, I'm just praying the Lord uses it to, to encourage the church and give us give us hope on, on good days and hope on dark days. So, so you're waiting with bated breath on what I think about it, right? I am. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, uh-oh, he brought me on his, on his podcast to call him out public. No, you know I wouldn't do that. Well, <laughs> would I? Hmm, that's a good question. Would I bring somebody on a podcast to call them out? No, I, I, I wouldn't. I guess I'm going to find out. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I, 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 I am very actually. I, I read it. I was very encouraged by. It. I actually wasn't sure what to what to make of it uh, when I picked it up. I was like, well, I knew it was going to be good because you wrote it, and uh, you're a good writer, and I enjoy <laughs> what you write, and and so uh, I, I was really encouraged. I, I really what I really liked about the book was exactly you did exactly what you you just said in your remarks there about the book that you wanted to write to help people to understand not only the issue but also you know why how we can unite around the issue and i think especially on we we both know this on topics related to the end times uh well yeah i mean you know we can we can get into our views and you know that that's okay but but we we have so much that christians especially as protestant christians that we agree on especially related you know to the second coming you know that's an essential of the faith and and uh the rest of it the timing and the date i mean to me is I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter. And it's almost like I don't even engage in really in conversations about that because personally, I just think that it's um, it's important, but it's not really important. And it often is more heat than uh, than light. And uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I really uh, in particular, I really loved your your sec. Well, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I just really love that part where you're talking about what where we where we unite as Christians. And so I, I thought the whole book was excellent. And for a shortage of is you cover a wide uh, a lot of information in a, in a very short space so that that's even better so well, i appreciate that man i'm glad you enjoyed it i'm glad i'm not getting called out <laughs> No, no, it actually, actually, I don't call people out. So if I don't like the book, I just don't bring them on the podcast. That That's, that's, hey, what that's I good to know. I'll, I'll mark that down for the future. If yeah. I get a call from Dave, he hated the book. Oh, come on. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to get ourselves in trouble here. Yeah. All right. And we should probably move along. Yeah. Moving along. There's nothing to see here, anybody. Um. So next question. Um. How can the Apostles' Creed help Christians not to fall into fear or speculation on the end times? but instead have hope, anticipation, joy, and confidence in the present and for the future. Well, the Apostle Creed is one of the oldest summaries of the contours of of Christian orthodoxy, and and what's just so amazing about the Creed is, man, Orthodox believers all around the world from all different traditions can can unite and say, hey, we hold these truths, these core beliefs in common, and and what I find so interesting is that in in terms of being, you know, the oldest, because a lot of times we we think, man, let's just find out what the first Christians believe, and let's believe that, and um, and what's interesting on this hot button issue of, of the end of days, man, what they say is Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead, and he wins. And and that that's what the early believers rallied around, even even in the face of you know, persecution from. Uh, an empire that hated them, um, e- e- even in the, the, the w- with trying to, to sort out different heresies that were, were cropping up, and there was a whole lot going on in the first few centuries. And yet, on this issue that Christians can, co- can so quickly divide and be hostile towards each other over, and they just said, hey, Jesus is coming back, the judge of the living and the dead, and Jesus wins. And that, that was the point of unity. Um, e- even though we know from early church fathers that there were a wide variety of, of 
speculations and views, um, uh, and even early in the, the life of the church, but still the rallying point for the church corporate, the church universal at that point was, hey, Jesus win, praise God. And, and so I think that, that that can help us, you know, if things, uh, if the days grow darker and begin to mirror uh, for us in the West what, what happened to the, the Christians in the first few centuries, um, man, we, 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 we can hold on to the hope Jesus come back and he wins. For our brothers and sisters around the world right now who are experiencing dark days, persecution, uh, that same truth is good news for them. Jesus is coming back. He's going to make it right. He's going to win. And that's been a unifying hope since the first centuries. Amen, brother. I mean... <laughs> I love how Paul, at the end of Second Timothy, he he tells us that that you know that to eagerly long for the for the day, you know, the second coming of, yeah. of Christ. We're so we're supposed to look forward to that day. That's not a point of contention. Yeah. That's he's he's urging you know uh, Paul's urging Timothy to look forward to that day and and to be encouraged by that, you know, and and to live right. in light of it. And I, I think that we miss that. And, you know, mm. when we focus on, you know, the, the date and the time aspect of things and, yeah. the, and the chart and all that, we miss the fact that the Bible encourages us in this way. It encourages us to, to look towards the day and to be encouraged that there, that Jesus is coming back and, you know, that, that he, he is coming back and that's a sure fact. Yeah. So I can't remember how many verses and all mm. that, but it's like two, I think I've heard two or three times as many references to the second coming as to the first coming coming or something like that mm, yeah so that that's really really a good answer how, how does understanding the already not yet of the kingdom of god help christians grow in their understanding of the end times sometimes we default to this, this idea that man we're just waiting for jesus to come back which which is as you pointed out a biblical hope something we should hope for and but right now it's just kind of like this this hunker down and get in the bunker and just wait and and when in reality the already not yet tension that's found in scripture is that the kingdom of christ is here now and yet it's coming as full form when Christ returns. And, and so that helps us now to have fuel for the mission of, let's go ahead and begin previewing the kingdom of Christ on earth as we live as, as a gospel people, picturing the gospel work of Christ, the restoration of all things, as we love our neighbor, love our cities, uh, preach the gospel, uh, a gospel of, of reconciliation and hope. And, and, and yet we can acknowledge that things are broken and still not as they ought to be. But when Jesus comes back, he's going to get us back to the garden things will be right, um, and, and we'll, we'll have restoration in, in its complete form, the kingdom of Christ, in, in its most visible, tangible form on earth. And, and so that already not yet tension, if, if, we, if we're fine with that tension, we're willing just to own it and live in it, 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 instead of making us fearful and then hunker down and get in the bunker and hide from the world, we actually engage the world more with the gospel, with our words, and with our actions as a preview of, well, the king has come and won ultimate victory, uh, the, the death, burial, and resurrection, and he's coming back again with the kingdom that's full of form and let's prepare for him. That's so good. I know uh, uh, a few years ago I was studying Luke and um, I was just struck by it and I've read Luke many, many times at this point. But you know when you're actually studying a passage, you know, you're digging into it, mm. you know, you get more out of it and yeah. And so I was studying it, and I started noticing this idea of the already and not yet. And this is probably, uh, I don't know, eight years ago or so, nine years ago. And uh, I was just really struck by it, and, and it really kind of changed my view of end, end times, uh, which we don't need to get into that. But it, it just helped me to... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I was I was really pre-trip, pre-millennial, and I'm, I'm definitely historical pre-mill now. But uh, just mm. just in case anybody wonders, but it really changed my view of of, of just it, it helped me to I think have a better understanding of the end times as a whole. Uh, just seeing how in Luke and then in the Gospels and in Acts, and then once you start seeing it there, you start seeing it everywhere. You know, you start really noticing that this is the tension of the Bible. You know, and yeah. and it just was really it really helped helpful to me, um, helped me just to, to understand more of that, 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 that the kingdom of God, yes, is both here and it's yet coming. Um, and that's, you know, it's, that's, that idea is, you know, all throughout the epistles, all throughout the gospels. So yeah. when you grab hold of that, it's just really paradigm shifting. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you give us a brief guided tour through the various views on the end times now that we're, uh, we are already talking about our various views? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, really, really kind of the, the dividing line for the, the views of the, um, you want to call the end times, is really what is the rule and reign of Christ like in the millennial period? So uh, amillennial thinkers would say the rule and reign is, is uh, not a physical, literal reign of Christ on the throne, you know, in Jerusalem, uh, but it's, it's now present in and through his people, and, and, and at some point Christ will return. So, so for the amillennial thinker, there's just that in any minute, it can all be wrapped up. Um, and, and then... For postmillennial thinkers, it's, it's that Christ is ruling and reigning now and through his people and, and the advance of the church, uh, the, the proclamation of the gospels and go to the ends of the earth. The world will increasingly uh, come under the rule and reign of Christ and, and then Christ returns to sit on his throne. And, you know, historic premillennial thinkers would still, still see Christ coming in, in a um, uh, literal physical reign. And, and then a subset of premillennialism is, which is, is newer in terms of its historical presence is uh, dispensational premillennialism, which uh, would be like left behind would be the, the maybe the common uh, framework that people would, would know that by um, just a couple of hundred years old it's a system uh, uh, it would be kind of a subset of premillennialism um, but but what's what's interesting to me is when you really get back into the early church fathers trying to try to pick, pick out who believes what in everybody everybody tries to pick partial phrases and words that they think support their particular view among the early church fathers um, but one of the things that struck me in my research was uh, uh, just how similar the early fathers were, even when they're describing different positions. So one of the things that's, that's really nuanced, and, 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 and we're, we're using, you know, 20th century terminology, 21st century terminology to, to talk about first and second and third century theological concepts, and, and so we are being a little anachronistic with it, and, and so that, that makes it cumbersome. But what you notice is those who are historically attributed to be some of the amillennial thinkers in the early church, and, and those who would really be clearly early historic pre mill thinkers, what you begin to see that's interesting is there's actually one of the most curious similarities between the two is uh, an amillennial thinker would not see the millennial age as a, uh, a calendar, like a date on the calendar that marks the beginning of the age, and a, a date on the calendar 1,000 years later to the date that marks the end of it, and, and uh, but is a definite but uh, period of time, but, but not necessarily a 1,000 years, right? Uh, whereas historic pre-mill, and it seems like in its earliest form, was actually similar in that regard in that it saw the 1,000 years as, as, as literal but not precise, that it, it would be a sig- signify a long period of time in which Christ would physically rule and reign. And, 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 and some, some early church fathers still thought it was a literal 1,000 years to the day type thing, but, but some of them saw it more as a, as a definite period of time that Christ will physically reign on earth, but it's not a, you know, 1,000 years to the day type thing. And so, so there are all these just little nuanced similarities where it's like, oh, wow, so, so these, these four fathers of our faith and, and trying to sort through these things, grapple with these things, a, a lot of them had some of the same questions we still 
have 2,000 years later. Um, and, and so in seeing the broad spectrum of them, I try to just do a you know, 30,000 foot overview in the book. I, I try to highlight some of the differences that are significant and do matter, but then to really highlight the similarities that are even nuanced or significant similarities so that we can see these things matter. They are distinct. And yet there is so much similarity and overlap that we can call each other's each other brother and sister, even though we may hold conflicting views of how it's all going to wrap up when Christ returns. That is uh, really well said. Thank you, brother. Why is it so important that Christians understand what the creeds teach on the end times? Mainly because I, I, I think what we've gotten into is this idea that we have to extrapolate from the scriptures just this very precise system with times and dates and and that's just not what Christians have historically done. Historically, Christians have, have taken a position on a framework, yes, but they, they've largely, again, rallied around what the creeds say. And you, you look at the, the earliest creeds, and there's just such continuity, e- even when they're speaking with great specificity to important issues, when they talk about the consummation, they, they, they talk about Jesus coming back and Jesus wins, and that that's, that's the unifying point of orthodoxy. And I think that that can be a helpful framework for us as believers where there are certain theological positions that we should hold, and I think some are right and some are wrong, and that we should explore and defend and debate, but there are there's a, a whole set of core Christian doctrines where we can look at a brother or sister across the table. So this is end times, and then there are others. And we can just say, man, let's have a robust conversation about this over coffee, but at the end of the day, we're still family. And, and so I think grabbing hold of the creeds on this hot-button issue can help us learn how to grab a hold of the creed on other hot-button issues. Yeah, I think that's uh, really well said. And I, I, what I appreciate is is have a robust conversation. Notice the word robust. Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean that you're belittling anybody or saying, well, you're less of a Christian because, you know, you believe yeah. in what you believe in. You know, as the, I think the thing that we should do is we should encourage people to study the text and study the different views and, and then look at what, yeah. what does the Bible actually say. If, if some Somebody has a well-formed and conviction about, you know, a, a certain point of contention. Like my wife and I, we differ on um, the pre-trip position and, you know, we we have respectful. This is just one example. My wife and I, we, we disagree on this particular point. We don't disagree on much, but we disagree on this. And but we have robust, we have robust conversation without it being insulting, thankfully. <laughs> That's important. That's good. And, That's good. <laughs> and you know, uh, I, I'll be like, well, I don't agree with you. And, you know, you know, I probably go a little too far on that, but um, but you know, you know that that's where I need to grow. But you know, be gentle. You know, especially when you're talking with your spouse. I have I have had uh, many guys tell me, you know, they can't even talk with their wife about uh, theology because well, they maybe talked about this or some other thing and being, having robust conversation with your spouse or other people, it's, it's good. But remember, you know, they might not have a theological education, um, and they have, but they have well-formed views and, um, to be respectful and gentle and loving, you know, how would you like it if somebody said, no, you're wrong. And, you know, after you've studied and, you know, it's, it's just something that we need to, I think, do better and it's what i appreciate so much about your book that's right man we need to treat each other in love as family how do the guardrails of the creeds help christians to keep their end times view as a secondary matter instead of a primary one yeah so so one of the 
the creeds really do help us in that they, you know, they're derived from the scriptures. They're a summation of the scriptures, a faithful summary of what the Bible teaches Christians believe. Um, and, and, and so as long as you're in the bounds of the creeds, which I like to think of as guardrails uh, on the highway of theology, you're free to disagree on these secondary nuances. And, um, and, and so I think it's just helpful to remember what are the bounds of orthodoxy, because the difficulty for us as believers is we get so passionate about secondary issues that we elevate them to the point of primary issues, and we're ready to question the you know orthodoxy, the salvation of brothers and sisters simply because they're not not the different they're not outside the highway they're not outside the guardrails they're just in a different lane and uh, and, and so instead of sharing the proverbial theological road with them man, we're we're ready to go demolition derby and uh, and it's just it's so unhealthy and so unhelpful which is again going back to the robust conversation but it's a family conversation and uh and as long as you remember hey before the guardrails we are family um we should share the road and, and learn how to talk about why we're in the lane we're in in a way that, that is winsome and, and encouraging and mutually up, build it up, builds up the body uh i think that that would benefit the church especially on hot button issues like the end times uh i i have kind of a funny story to tell just on this point uh so our, our the church that we go to the the pastor is pre pre pre-millennial um it's a macarthur type heavily influenced church so that tells you something about where they land on these issues but he said uh he's like we don't make this uh we don't make this a litmus test for membership or anything like that which mm-hmm. i really appreciate um but he also yeah. said you know this is a this is a secondary thing it was very impressive actually but the, the funny part was he's like so if you're going on your way up to heaven if i'm right and you're you know uh, i'm pre-trib so you know if we get called up in the air you know you have to tell me as we're going up that you know uh you know i was right or or something like that and you know if i'm if i'm if i'm wrong I, and we you know we stay or whatever um i'll tell you you're right okay do we have a deal and he actually preached this and in, in the thing I, I thought it was the i thought it was that was one of the best things i think i've ever heard from a pastor on uh this subject and it was just so it was so the whole the, it kind of encapsulated what you're talking about about unity and and loving and not making this a, a primary issue um you know the the second coming is a primary issue but you know it's just it was just really so i was like wow i want to stay here you know i know what he thinks about it but you know it's it and i guess that would be something that uh that pastor i wish more i i've been in church since i was five and i've never heard a pastor talk like in that way um and and i wish that more pastors would talk about talk about it that way um maybe even make make fun of themselves um a little bit you know and and on this topic and have have a little fun with it you know and uh to, to help people understand the the seriousness of it as well which is a very serious topic but it, it also we have room yeah. to have conversation and, and uh, to disagree so for sure where's a good place for someone just starting to learn about the end times to begin reading that sounds self-serving but <laughs> I, I really wrote my book in part for the folks in our church who, who um, you know had a lot of questions about this and wanted to better understand our, our official position as a church that you know jesus wins and that's what we rally around and how to understand the wide spectrum of the issue. And, and um, so, so I really wrote this book to be kind of a, a, a starting point for, for folks to understand the, the topic of the end times and eschatology in general. 
Um, so I think there, and, and really moving beyond there to, to maybe a more advanced interaction of these topics, Zondervan and really a couple of publishers now have really put out a number of kind of counterpoint series where you'll have um, roughly 100 pages from a scholar arguing for a position and then a few pages each from two or three other scholars explaining why they disagree. Um, and, and so for those then wanting maybe something beyond that, I, I think a counterpoints book that now okay now that you know what these these issues are and kind of the broad picture of Christian eschatology, um, maybe seeing some some scholars interact with each other more exegetical uh, level could be could be super helpful. That's a really good answer. Really good. Um, why did you include the Athanasian Creed in this book? One, most Christians have never read it, so anytime I can get a creed out there that people haven't read a lot, that would be I get excited about that. But also because the Athanasian Creed, um, it, it's very precise and it's lengthy. And it's very precise and lengthy on important issues. But what I love about it is it defines some of the important issues, you know, theology proper and Christology with, with a great deal of precision in terms of the detail with which it explains the position being summarized. And, and so I think, I think there's a great illustration to see how detailed it is on those issues and yet how simple and straightforward it is on the end times. So where it, once again, it echoes uh, uh, the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, Jesus wins. And, and so it's significant in my mind that this very important creed is so detailed on important issues um, of, of deity of Christ and theology proper, and, and yet when it comes to uh, talking about the important issue of the second coming, the point of Christian unity being argued for is simply Jesus is coming back, he wins. Amen, brother. And I mean, you, you wrote a book on creeds, so you, you've got to plug the creeds at every opportunity, right? That's right. Hey, man, and I do. I love it. <laughs> I can find a place to put one. I'm going to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, man. Good job. How would you counsel a Christian who comes to you and is fearful about the future? You know, I would ask them why they're fearful. Um, one of the one of the most helpful things for me uh, is I was very early in my, my adult life really wrestling with a lot of these things was when I became acquainted with church history, and, and I saw that Christians throughout history, there's just been like these kind of, um, these flashpoint moments where Christians in different parts of the world became almost universally fearful or convinced that this was it, this is the end, everything's going down, and the days are going to get darker, and, um, and and amazingly, every time that that happened, whether that was in the 200s, the 300s, the 500s, going towards 1000 AD, uh, uh, you know, Y1K was a big deal, and then, and then for us, in the modern era, Y2K was a big deal, and Christians thought, man, the, this is it, you know, Bill Gates is in cahoots with Satan himself and this program, the computers, to take the world down, and turned out that we were all afraid for nothing. Um, uh, that that historically, Christians fall into this rhythm of fear, and, and whenever we do that, we take our eyes off of the hope and victory of Jesus, and ultimately how things wrap up, and when they wrap up, are in his hands, and so, so often our fear of the future issue is really a questioning or a distrust in the sovereignty of God issue and and so we need to hold to the sure hope of the second coming of Jesus but but often there's a whole lot more going on when we're we're afraid about the future it, it, it's a lot more underneath the hood uh, so to speak of, of our fears than just I'm uneasy about tomorrow and 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 so I, I've talked to Christians who have said I'm, I'm scared for the direction of the world and it's like well the Western world is is lurching towards a more difficult place for Christians but that's just where the rest of the world has been for for nearly two thousand years um, and and we're just now tasting it and and yet uh, you know Jesus has never left his throne, and he's on his throne now, and if days get darker, he'll be on his throne. If days get better, he'll still be on his throne, and um, he still is coming back, and the words in the book of Revelation, he's coming back soon. And so um, that, that's kind of a, a long answer to a short question. That's a that's a really good uh, answer, yeah. I like that you, you said you asked 
questions because I think that I think that's really good. Uh, maybe you could say something about that. What? How should? How? Why is asking? Well, not not as why is asking good questions, but what would that what would that look like? You know. Um, yeah, what would how do pastors ask good questions? Not only about this, but just you know, as they're caring for people. Yeah, you know, I even had some uh, someone today just kind of an impromptu counseling session, um, just talking about a relational issue they were having, was very serious, and 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 some of their angst and concerns over it. And so I began asking them questions about career, about what's important to them in life and what makes them feel like a success or a failure. And and I was able to get at the issue of, you know, ultimately what you worship is what you get your identity from. Ultimately what you are getting, finding your identity in is really what you're worshiping. Um, it really helped them see that, that some of their angst over a relationship was really a worship problem, not so much really a, uh, maybe a relational problem. And, and I, so I, I think that often we, we tend just to try and a person says, here's my problem. And then we try to come up with a, a real quick prescription. When in reality, often to be a, a good a good pastor, you, you've got you've to dig around a little bit in, in the, the fold, so to speak, and, and see what, what all this, this, this sheep has, has had going on around them to really understand if what they think is wrong is actually what's wrong. And, and so just asking good probing questions like, okay, back up. Let's, let's just talk about your life in general. Tell me about, tell me about what's going on in, in your, your relationships, what's going on in your prayer life. Are there secret sins you're battling? Just really digging around just to see if does what they think is the problem. It, it, does it actually match what the uh, uh, their answers are revealing the problem probably to be? And just asking good probing questions is is super important to know how to truly shepherd somebody and not just shepherd them in the way they think they need to be shepherd, but shepherded, but to shepherd them in the way that you as a shepherd now see they need to be cared for. Man, that's, uh, that's gold, really gold. Good stuff. Um, so Dayton, as we wrap up this conversation, you know, there's a lot that we could really, you know, have, have mm-hmm. dived into and everything, um, especially on the different views as listeners go and, uh, pick up your book. Um, can you give us a few takeaways on this topic or even on your book? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that, that actually it's my favorite part of the book um, uh, is when we think about the grand scheme of all of human history, and, and then we really have to frame our eschatology, our view of the end times, in the grand scheme of all of history, because it's it, it's part of God's story that He invites us into. Um, is to really see how the entire story of the Bible is God's work to get us back to the Garden of Eden, the place where we could be with Him face to face. Uh, unencumbered and right relationship. And that the book ends with God bringing the Garden City, New Jerusalem, to earth. And in the description in, in uh, the book of Revelation, in terms of what's present in uh, New Jerusalem, the Garden City, mirrors the description of what was present in the Garden of Eden. And, and I think when we actually step back and see that that's actually the story, it's not so much of what God's going to do to um, whatever it is we're afraid of in life, whatever it is that we view as the evil or ills of the world, God will, God will meet out justice. Jesus will meet out justice on, on the final day, for sure. But when we see that really what we're looking at toward the end of all things is when we get back to the garden, now a garden city, face-to-face with, with the Lord, um, that will reframe the way we think about the subject, the way we think about the topic, the way that we talk about it. So uh, honestly, that that's if I were to encourage someone, please read one chapter in the book. It would probably be that chapter, just to try and help folks reframe the story of the Bible so that they see that the intro, the, the beginning, in Genesis is really building towards Revelation, and, and it's all part of one cohesive story with one cohesive hope. Mm, well said, brother. Well, I really, uh, I really appreciate the time that you've given 
him to me today and to our listeners, brother, and uh, just continue to play, pray Christ's richest blessings on you. Hey, thank you, Dave. It's it fun to be fun to be back, man. Yeah, definitely. Anytime, brother. Anytime. I'd like to thank Lexum Press for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit blog.lexumpress.com to receive a free commentary on Ephesians and a great book on preaching, both free for subscribing to their updates. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.